This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. We've been talking for the last three weeks on alignment. Everyone say alignment. And it is time to wrap it up. <clears throat> and I do want to say welcome again. Everybody's here this morning. Welcome to everybody watching online. Thank you for being here. Uh, I posed a few weeks ago the question on Facebook, what are some real-life scenarios where alignment is important? First thing everybody mentioned was the wheels on our car. How many of you know that's very important that our wheels are aligned on our car? Uh, a few people mentioned our neck, our back, our bodies. Um, it was mentioned the alignment in the military, the alignment of a rifle to a target. I mentioned last week the moon and its orbit. orbit. The way it's aligned helps sustain life on earth. Um, a few others, I wanted to go ahead since this is the last week, I, I wanted to try not to leave anybody out. Miss, uh, Miss Marilyn, I don't know where Miss Marilyn went. Oh, she's in the nursery. Miss Marilyn mentioned Memphis weather, and she went into all kinds of detail about all the things that have to come into alignment to cause Memphis weather. And if you want to read all of her details, please go to Facebook because I don't have time to read all that. Miss <laughs> um, Terry Rao couldn't be here this morning, but she's watching online. Hi, Miss Terry. Miss Terry said, text of legal documents. How many of you know your legal documents better be in alignment? She said, marching bands. Yep. Cheerleaders and dancers. Carpentry and bricks. Well, you better hope when you're getting a new house built that your bricks are in alignment. It'd be awfully weird. You see your bricklayer trying to write their name, you know, with the, with the bricks or something, right? Our old friend David Stevens, some of you remember, he, he put a whole list of things. I'd already mentioned a few of his. Eclipses. I thought, man, solar, lunar eclipses. By the way, remember when I talked about the moon last week and how the moon doesn't actually rotate around the equator of the earth? It rotates on a plane that's parallel with the sun. That's why we have eclipses, by the way. Most planets don't have eclipses. Kind of weird. Just one of those random facts. Um, David Stevens said, a domino rally. I was like, yeah, that's pretty important. The dominoes be aligned in a domino rally. Um, lens focus in photography. Lens focus is just the way lenses are aligned, right? In music, instruments. I thought, ah, musical instruments. And that kind of got me thinking. Leading worship for years. How many of you on the worship team would say, sometimes we're in alignment and sometimes we're not? <laughs> right? <laughs> Today you're in alignment real well. That was awesome. Y'all give the worship team a hand. That was good. That was good. And music got me to thinking because music most certainly requires alignment, uh, you, you know, e even by yourself. <laughs> Hopefully, you're on beat. I, I guess if you don't, I guess anything goes. If you're good with making a joyful noise, and you know God's good with that, then I guess anything goes. Uh, but, um, but even as a soloist, if anybody's going to listen to you, there has to be a certain amount of alignment, Right? Alignment is very important in music. And I actually read something about a specific song, a song from a long time ago that I think most of us would be familiar with. And I'm actually going to play a clip here in a second. And once you get it, see, uh, say the name of it. I, I, think you'll, I think you'll recognize. You ready? Hit it. Short clip. Okay. 
Somebody's probably flipping out. Did he just start off by playing the Beatles in church? <laughs> Look at the person next to you and say, breathe. It's okay. You're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. Twist and shout. The Beatles recorded Twist and Shout in 1963. It was on their debut album. There you go. And I read, some of y'all know, uh, last year, Sean and I and the kids were, were in London, and actually we, we walked across uh, Abbey Road, and Aaron, it's not a big tourist attraction, it's, it's a road, it's a crosswalk, and we ran out there real quick, and Aaron had my phone and took a picture of us walking across the crosswalk, crosswalk on Abbey Road. But I, I did a little bit of reading during that time about uh, Apple Studios and everything right there, and I read something about Twist and Shout that I didn't know before. You have these four guys. You got John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr, and they're recording their very first album, right? And on the day of this recording, they've got the studio reserved, and they've got one shot to record this album. And they come in, and they have a problem. John Lennon was quite sick. Some of you may have heard this story before. He had a, uh, he had a terrible cold. His uh, his throat was terribly raw and sore. They said that he was, he was drinking milk and sucking on cough drops like crazy to try and do sir was George Mark's first recording session. And so the producer was George Martin, and he made the call that they would record all the other songs first, but they would do Twist and Shout last because it was supposed to sound kind of grungy. And he knew that it was going to be the most harsh on John Lennon's vocals. So he's like, We'll try Twist and Shout last and see if we can pull it off. And so John Lennon pushed through uh, the other songs on that album, and, uh, and, by, and it was rough. And by the time they got to Twist and Shout, they had 15 minutes of studio time left. And this was their only shot. So they went at it, and they did one take of Twist and Shout. And... Several people have said that by the time they got to the end of that first take of Twist and Shout, John Lennon's voice was absolutely wrecked. And George Martin tried to get them to do one more, and he said he was done. And that was it. They stopped the recording, and it was, it was sent to be produced. And so it was recorded with a single take. And actually, I, I read, I haven't actually gone back to check, but several people, I, several things I read online said there's a couple places where they tried to edit out his coughing uh, in different places on the album where you can still hear little, little bits of his coughing in different places in the album. And, um, and you can hear the effects of his cold. Uh, Twist and Shout was released within a couple of weeks. It was number two on the charts. You know why it was only number two? Because the top spot was held by a song called Can't Buy Me Love by the Beatles. Number three, I think, was I Want to Hold Your Hand. Number four and five were both held by the Beatles. And another interesting thought here was another interesting fact. You know that uh, Twist and Shout in 1986 hit the charts again? I didn't even think about that. I, 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 read, it, I read it the other day. I was like, it hit the charts again in 1986. 25 years later, it hit number, number 23 on the charts. Does anybody know why? Ferris Bueller's, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. 
<laughs> from the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off when Matthew Broderick is, stands on a float in a parade and lip syncs to that song. And a brand new generation heard Twist and Shout and it hit the charts just because he lip synced it in a movie. You've got four young guys recording their very first album. And here's the thing with these four guys. These four guys, but they were aligned. These four guys had chemistry. They had charisma. They were talented. They were great composers. They were very much aligned of one mind and one heart and one goal. And they were successful where many would have failed straight out of the gate. Very interesting, huh? In that question that I'd asked about real-life scenarios where alignment is critically important, some of you on my Facebook page, who are the teacher's pets, immediately gave spiritual answers. <laughs> Ms. Joe Rook said, perfect alignment is hearing God's voice without static interruption and miscommunication. That's awesome, isn't it? Zach said, we should be aligned with, God's, with God in our giving. Ms. Petra said, you can miss your destiny if you don't come in alignment with God's spirit. Our friend Kim Cooper, she said, parents must be in alignment when raising their children. And uh, actually, actually James, Seder, and I think Harold Leday also said, we must be aligned in our marriages. How many of you agree with those things? Alignment and balance is vitally important in this life, and our alignment will very much affect where we go in this life. Um, real quick, I'm going to do a real quick recap before I finish. Uh, I talked about position to prosper, prosper being a state of being successful, to grow strong and healthy, to be strong and flourishing. Robert's Moore, Robert Morris said it is the moving forward. To be, pro, to be prosperous is to be moving forward. What is alignment? It is arrangement in a straight line or in correct relative position, a position of agreement or alliance. The whole point of this series is if we are positioned or if we are properly aligned, we can be successful, healthy, strong, flourishing, and moving forward. Isn't that what we all want out of this life? I gave you three things the first week. Why should we be aligned with God? Basically because we're lost. This world is lost. Without hope, peace, and joy, we've sinned, fallen short of glory of God, and we need a Savior, right? Second question I asked was, what are the terms of our alignment with God? Surrender, repentance, putting Him first, obeying Him, living for Him, putting away our past, living for Him, choosing to be like Jesus. Once we're saved, we know we're a new creation. We have a new nature and new desires. And the third thing I gave you was, what happens if I fall out of alignment? It's recognizing that alignment is a lifelong process and knowing that God always makes realignment an option. Repentance is simply turning our heart back toward him. We can immediately be realigned. Week two, I talked about what does God expect? Now that we've been reborn into his family, we've been born of him, what does he expect as, our, as his growing children? I gave you uh, four things. I said discover who you are, remembering that our life has been changed. We've been reborn. We're a new creation now. We're kids in God's house. So we've got to learn as much as we can. We've got to know who God says we are, what he requires of us, and what our place is in his family. He's written down our, the story, past, present, and future in his word. We've got to get that down in our hearts. We've got to get hungry for him. The second thing I gave you, is submit to and learn from those that God's put in your life. He never meant for us to walk life alone. And I'm convinced that outside of his word, the people that he's placed around us in our life will be the second most prominent way that he will speak to us in our life. Thirdly, I was mentioning that we got to learn to trust and obey. If we are going to surrender, we've got to learn to trust God. 
Uh, our Father will always know what's best. He'll always see the big picture. He will always know it all, and we'll always be learning more about him. And the fourth thing I mentioned was, don't rush it, but walk out the process. With God, everything is a process. And many times, he only shows us things one step at a time because we're so apt to try and run ahead of him. And then last week, I brought this into maturity. We're seeking spiritual maturity and knowing that spiritual maturity is something that we're always striving for. It's not something that we ever achieve. We think about maturing as coming, coming of age, finally arriving at adulthood. But we're always striving for spiritual maturity. And I ended up giving you, my definition for maturity was doing what you know. We get that place where we're doing what we know and we're accountable for it. But I found that third definition, if you remember I mentioned last week, having achieved a low but stable growth rate, meaning that movement, that we're always moving forward. And we broke that down into three things. And I really grabbed the expectations that God has of us from the week before. And I talked about how do we do, I, 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 and actually, remember, if you remember, I said I was breaking that into two parts, which I'm concluding today. But I got three of the expectations that God has of us, and I mentioned them last week. One was living a life of surrender and repentance. How do we do that? I said we got to commit to living God's way. we got to stop trying to do things the way that we think is best. And we got to get into his word and find out what God says and do what he says. we got to desire correction. Correction is alignment. Alignment is correction. So we've got a desire um, to, to make things right in our life, to make those corrections and things. We've got to be open to criticism and different things. Deny your flesh. How many of you know our flesh can try and take the reins real quick? It knows what it wants and it wants it now. But we've got to be willing to deny that. We've got to be quick to repent because repentance is the way to alignment. And then lastly, committing to the church. And I, I put that in there because when we, when we surrender to God, we're surrendering also to the church and to the body. And the second thing I gave you was a life of submission. Nobody likes the word submission today, but we are submitting to God and we surrender, it is submission. We've got to always be filling ourselves with his word. If we're going to surrender to God, we've got to know what those terms of surrender are. And that's in the word of God. I talked about being humble, that surrender requires humility. We talked about what is, what is involved in humility. Humility does not feel right to better treatment than Jesus received. Humility knows it's dependent on grace. And humility knows it is fallible, so it considers criticism and learns from it. We talked about in a life of submission, we got to learn to develop prayer and develop that personal relationship with God. That prayer is not, it's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. We got to be in constant communication with the Father, talking to him, listening to him, thinking about him, meditating on him, because that's how relationship works. And then lastly, we talked about part of the life of submission to the Father is living a spirit-led life. And as we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we submit to him, he brings us comfort and conviction and guidance and power and character and the gifts of the Spirit as well. And then the last thing I closed with last week was a life of trust and obedience, that we've got to, we've got to trust God. And I know I keep driving that home, but if we're going to surrender to him, we have to trust him. We have to trust Father and obedience. We can memorize the Bible from cover to cover, but if we don't do what it says, and it's nothing more than ink and paper, it means nothing. Obedience is the key. Our freedom, our breakthrough, our peace, our blessing, it all comes through obedience. All the things that we as a spirit-filled church love to claim in our life as ours, it all comes through trusting and obeying Father. And I close that with not overthinking things. We tend to overcomplicate things all the time. Do we believe that God is who he says he is? And do we believe that he'll do what he says he'll do? That's what it all boils down to. If we do, then we got to stop trying to figure things out and trust and obey. When we do that, we will see the walls come down and we'll see the mountains move in our lives. Amen?
So I want to close with three more things, three more expectations that God has. And this is where I'll wrap up um, alignment when it comes to spiritual maturity in our life. And you can follow along. You should have gotten a note sheet in your service guide. You can follow along there. You can follow along on the YouVersion app or, um, or just on the screen. But, um, but three more things. The first thing I want to mention, uh, ex- expectation God has of us, is that we live a life of peace, patience, and contentedness. Peace, patience, and contentedness. And this goes along with the expectation I was talking about of always moving forward but not rushing things. And I was thinking about how do we do this because we live in a society of extremes. We're either, if you look at most people around us, they're either sitting still or they're going at 5 million miles an hour and can't slow down at all. True? And so how do we get to this place where we're moving forward, but we're walking in peace and patience, and we're content and not rushing things and getting ahead of God? And so I just, I just started meditating on that, and I just, I just made a list of a few things here. I made a list of four things. And the first thing is not holding on to the past. You want to walk in peace, patience, and contentedness? You can't hold on to the past. Philippians 3.13 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it that I have made it my own. I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to do what lies ahead. How many of you know that there is a level of contentment that only comes through freedom? We will never find satisfaction and contentment while holding on to our past failures, mistakes, and disappointments. And I would go so far as, well, I mean, let me ask this. How many of you remember a time, and you might even have to go back to when you were a kid, but probably not. How many of you remember a time when you had done something and you were trying to cover it up or you were trying to hide it? There was somebody you did not want to know about this. <laughs> and you were working hard to make sure to avoid it or to hide it or to make sure that this did not come up or come out or whatever it was. And eventually something happened and in a moment it was exposed. And you may have very well been in trouble, but how many of you remember breathing, breathing a sigh of relief? Even if you saw more trouble ahead as a result of it coming out, you had spent more trouble trying to cover this thing up and hide it. You had, you had, you had no peace trying to, trying to hold on to this thing. And you found more peace facing the trouble ahead than you did trying to hold on to it in the past. Does that make sense? Everybody kind of been there before? We can't hold on to the past. We have to leave the past behind. And like it says there in Philippians 3.13, straining forward instead to what lies ahead. The past has got nothing for us. We've got to strain forward to the future. The next thing I thought of was, when it comes to living a life of peace, patience, and contentedness, is remembering the joy of your salvation. Have you in this room? I know some. Guys, I know some of you in this room. I know some of you had a rough 2017. Can I tell you something? Can I remind you of something? Do you know the price for your sin was paid for? Do you know you're forgiven? You know that you've been washed clean and made a new creation. Do you know you've been adopted out of the darkness and into his marvelous light? 
You've been made God's very own and heirs to the kingdom of heaven. Does that kind of bring things into perspective when we stop and remember the joy of our salvation? Philippians 1.21, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I heard somebody say one time that earth is the only hell a believer will ever know. But it's the only heaven the unbeliever will ever know. You know, life has beautiful moments, but if this is heaven, Lord Jesus, I'm in trouble. Because <laughs> life can be hell sometimes, can it not? We've got to remember that the best lies ahead, regardless of what we encounter and face in this life. The best is ahead because of what Jesus did on that cross. Because of the cross, we are free from the chains of sin and shame. Because of the cross, our salvation is secure. Because of the cross, our relationship with God is possible. Because of the cross, our future is secure and guaranteed. Is that enough? What else really matters? The really big things are taken care of, right? So again, you can look at your neighbor and say, breathe. Remember the joy of your salvation. We can always turn to God. The shop is always open for alignment. Remember the joy of your salvation. You can live a life of peace and patience and contentedness in the midst of the storms. Amen? It's good news, isn't it? Next thing I thought of was we need to find our sufficiency in Jesus. Find your sufficiency in Jesus. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, this, this scripture, this scripture kind of came alive to me new this week. I've always kind of thought of this scripture in, as something that you quote when you're going through it, you know. You're just, you're going through a hard time and you're straining and you're just, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I thought, you know what? That's almost a self-sufficiency kind of mindset. The focus here isn't really me. We focus on the word I and me. That's not really it. The, the strength is not in I or me. The straining, the strength, the effort is not in me. Really, instead of saying... I can do all things. It should be, I can do all things. We should find peace in his strength. We should find peace and contentedness in his strength, not in ours. Let him do the flexing. Let him, not that God strains, but let him do the straining and let him do the heavy lifting and instead be the vessel he said, go move that mountain. I can do all things through Christ. So go move the mountain. Not straining. <laughs> He's the one. It's his strength, right? We've got, actually, for, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. We've got to remember that he is more than enough. He's all that we'll ever need. So when are we going to trust him? If we want peace, if we want contentedness, we've got to find our sufficiency in Jesus. And the last thing I want to mention under this point is we've got to learn to live one day at a time. 
Matthew 6, 34. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. How do you know that's true? Today's trouble is enough for today. And everybody said, amen. <laughs> Guys, it doesn't mean that we don't plan for tomorrow, right? But we don't worry about what could or could not happen. We leave that in God's hands, right? We've got enough to think about today without worrying about tomorrow. Do what you know today and let God take care of tomorrow. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. We've got to surrender our timetable and surrender our future to him. And let me say this. This is part of that peace, patience, and contentedness. Don't get bored because... Things aren't happening in your life fast enough. Or because God's not coming through in the way that maybe you think he should. Let me tell you this. God will never let you down and God is never late. Have you ever thought that God was late before? Come on. Man, y'all are lying. <laughs> God has never been late. So those moments that we think he's late, we're getting ahead of him again. We're running on ahead like a little toddler running ahead of the parent. He's going, come on back. I'm not going that way. Come on back. Come on back. Come on back. Right? Every time that we think he's late, we're trying to figure it all out, using our own mind, being a little immature, little whatevers, right? For real. He will never let us down. He is never late. We've got to learn to hang in there and trust him. And let me say this, another little disclaimer. Hang in there doesn't mean do nothing. I'm just waiting on God. Hang in there doesn't mean do nothing. Get busy and do what you know. If God's shown you that one day you're going to have a ministry, but your life doesn't look anything like the dream that he's given you, start serving somebody else's ministry. Start serving and doing something. God will honor it. Absolutely will. He'll burst something through it. He'll give you vision and zeal, and he'll begin to promote you. Start serving and get busy doing what you know to do. Amen? Which just takes us to the next. Number two, second thing I want to mention, expectation God has of us is to live a life that shouts Jesus is Lord. Number two, live a life that shouts Jesus is Lord. For the mature believer, where does this come from? It comes from Romans chapter 10. I read this week one. Actually, I think I've read it every week. Romans 10. We, we, we talk about Romans 10, 9, and 10. This, the Romans road, right? This is how somebody gets saved. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, right? And believe in your heart. Here's the thing, and I, 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 man, I talk about this all the time, but this Romans 10, 9, th this was not a prayer. This is something they began doing. They began living a life that confessed Jesus was Lord. This was not a one-time event. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it right now. Hold on, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Jesus is Lord. Okay, you're done. That, that's not what it was. They made a decision that they were going to follow Jesus, and they did it. And their life then began to display everything they did was a confession that Jesus was Lord of their life. Does this make sense? It shouted that they weren't master of their own life, that they had surrendered to Jesus. 
It wasn't just a prayer. It was something they began living, something they began doing. And every day, I believe their, their lives shouted louder and louder that Jesus was Lord of it. And I believe that this is another telling sign of a surrendered life. Our lives to Jesus. Let me say this. Can I get real blunt for a second? If nothing in your life, nothing in your life says that Jesus is Lord, your actions, your reactions, your thoughts, your heart, your speech, your attitude, if nothing in your life confesses Jesus is Lord, I fear for you. I would encourage you strongly to surrender your need to Jesus today, to get your life right. Because that's the new creation. That's the surrendered life. That's the new nature. That's the new desires that come forth. Amen? A surrendered life changes. If we follow the word and do, do what it says, let me tell you this, people will take notice. How do we live a life that shouts Jesus is Lord? I just put down a few things. You got it in your notes there. Be a shining example of Jesus by being a doer of the word. What? Yep, we're hearing it again. Do what it says. Do what it says. Do what it says. 1 Timothy 4.12. Y'all have heard this. Don't, look, don't let anyone look down on you because you were young, but set an example for believers in speech and conduct and love, faith and purity. You know, this is another one of those scriptures that is most commonly found on graduation cards. Isn't it true? And I think we look at it from the aspect of we, we give it to graduates and it's like, don't let anyone look down on you or young. You can do great things for Jesus. But it's not really what it's, it's not really what it's saying. I was looking at it again the other day and Paul's really, he, Paul's talking to Timothy here and he's basically telling, telling him not to give anybody an excuse to write him off as an insincere believer, is what he's doing. We don't know what Timothy's age was right here. Don't let anyone look down on you because you were young, but set an example for the believers. Be a good example. Be a good example of the Christian walk and the Christian faith in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. He's saying, don't give anybody an excuse to write you off as immature or undeserving of attention or of listening to but instead set an example of the Christian walk, of the Christian life, of what it's like to be like Jesus. Philippians 1.27, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. John 13.35 says, By this, all people know your disciples, if you have what? Love for one another. Guys, more than anything else, it is our love that should set us apart from the unbeliever. Christians are called to display a kind of love in the world today that the world would call crazy. It's a kind of love that Jesus showed that's unconditional, undeserved, and often unreturned. Right? That is the kind of thing, that is the kind of love that is going to cause the world to stop in their tracks and do a double take. That's the kind of love that's going to cause people to stop and to listen. 
People should see the example of a life that surrendered to Jesus when they look at us. They should see it in our character. They should see it in our responses. They should see it in our attitude. They should see it in our emotions. They should see it in our peace. They should see it in our marriages. They should see it in our relationships, in our integrity, in our peace, in our speech, in our trust in God. These things should all, look, we're far away in our walk because we're growing and we're maturing in God's house, right? Second thing I want to mention under this, being a shining example, I'm sorry, of a life that shouts Jesus Lord. Second thing I want to mention was developing a heart for people. Why do we develop a heart for people? Because that's the heart of God. That's the reason for all of this. It's the reason we were created. It's the reason Jesus came and died. It's the reason we're here today. It's simply because God loves people. Loves all people. That's why we're here. If he didn't love all people, he wouldn't have saved you. Right? You were undeserving, right? You were a sinful, lost, perverted, whatever, right? He loved you. The Holy Spirit drew you. You accepted his love, right? So we've been born into a new family. And guess who our father is? He doesn't just love. He is love. True? So we've been born of him. We, and we, we use the word adopted from the Bible, but it's so much deeper than adopted, We have our Father's genetic disposition as a new creation. So what is our genetic disposition now as a new creation? It's to love. That new nature that comes out should be love. And there's only one family business, and we're called to it. God loved the the whole world so much that he did what it took to rescue us from sin and death and shame. And we now have the same responsibility to love others in like manner. Right? We have the same responsibility to share that with others. What about those who are living blatantly in sin? What about those who are living blasphemous, perverted lives? Matthew 9, verse 36 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Guys, worldly people, they just haven't yet found the Savior. They're harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. They're hopeless and without direction. And we have the good news. What is the good news? Man, I read, I read from the Message Bible the other day, Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30, says, this is... This is This is what Jesus says, I mean, to the world that's eaten up, hopeless, eaten up with guilt and shame. From Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 from the message, are you tired, worn out, burn out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't let anything hell or heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Guys, the good news of the gospel, right? 
I know we're all busy, but God took some time out for you, right? And he makes time every day for us whenever we need it. And we've got to remember that people are his top priority. We're in the family business, and people have got to be our top priority regardless of how busy we are. And this reminded me of something from almost exactly four years ago, actually. Where's Christian? Is Christian here? Is he? Oh, he's back there in the back. Hey, brother. You remember this? Put that up on the screen. This popped up in my Facebook feed. Just happened to this week. You remember that? It's an email I received four years ago. It was after a youth service on a Sunday night from somebody at church I never met. Dear sir, I don't know about your church, but I know about Ben and Christian who are members of your church. I met them during an accident I had last night at the intersection of College Road and Hacks Cross. These two gentlemen, and they were gentle, were there for me when this accident took place. I felt I feel speechless in the presence of their kindness, of their humility, of the Christian love they exemplified toward me. They remained with me until the record arrived and I was on on my way to my home. I'm an old person now, and I've seen much of the world in our country and abroad, east and west, but let me tell you that I have not seen such goodness, uh, the kind of goodness these two young men had shown to me. They were reluctant to say anything about themselves. They were reluctant to give me their addresses or even their phone numbers. Not many people would perform acts of love with their right hand without allowing their left to know about it. I just want you to know, sir, that the congregation you lead is a jewel in the Christian church. May you thrive in the spirit of Christ. 10.41 p.m. on February 23rd, 2014. That is an example of loving others. Stopping it late at night, helping somebody on the side of the road and sharing the love of Jesus with them. Which brings me to my last uh, bullet point on this point uh, is making new disciples. So we've got to love people, but we don't stop there at loving them. We make disciples. And guys, this is reproduction. We're having the talk this morning. We're talking about maturity, right? How many of you are, how many of you are grandparents? How many of you sure wish your kids would have children and you wish you were grandparents? There's a few in the room, yeah. How many of you are looking forward to being grandparents? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, God expects us to reproduce, right? We're born as kids in his family, and he expects us to reproduce. If we're truly thankful for what God's done in our lives, then we won't be able to keep it to ourselves. Our intimacy in his kingdom will produce more members of the kingdom. We have the only true hope in the world today. We've got to tell people they're not alone, they're not an accident, that they're loved, that they're cherished, and that they have a divine purpose. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, y'all know this, the great commandment. We're commanded by Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. How do we do this? I know people flip out and get nervous when we start talking about evangelism. <gasps> because we picture the guy standing on the milk crate on the corner of Beale Street holding up a sign that says you're going to hell. <laughs> Firstly, you don't have to go looking for lost people. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. 
where? You don't have to go on a big search. They're all around you. At work, at the store, they may be your friends, they may be your family, they might be in your church. (laughs) They're all around you. God has put you in specific people's life for a purpose. Sometimes it starts simply by just showing the love of Jesus. And let me say this too. If you're doing all the other things we've been talking about, about being a doer of the word, this is going to come much more naturally. If your life is displaying that Jesus is Lord and you're doing the things the Bible says, it's not going to be a real hard thing. Does this make sense? People will recognize a difference in your life. People around you at work, it's not going to just take them by. Let me say this. If you start sharing Jesus with the person at work that you've been sitting next to for 15 years, and you decide, okay, I'm going to do it today, I'm going to share Jesus, and you tell them you're a Christian, and it takes them by surprise, and they fall out on the floor, you might need to reexamine your life. Right? If you've been doing all the other things, they're going to recognize the difference in your life. It's not going to knock them out. Man, we are like, um, we got to hit it here. So you'll find that people will even start approaching you and opening up to you. They're going to want what you have. And I will say this. I'll say, Mr. Robert Montgomery, I've been talking to more lately. That brother has a heart for people and a heart for evangelism and has an evangelism small group right now that I'm hearing awesome things about. I would encourage you. You want more of a heart for people? You want to learn how to share Jesus with people? Join the evangelism small group. It's not intimidating. It's real life scenarios and how to interact with people and how to, how, to, how to, in a genuine way, talk to people about your faith. And let me say this lastly in this point. If we're going to talk to people about our faith, we also don't want to disappear from their life. It's not a number. They're not a tick mark on the wall. Another one for the kingdom. And we go home and watch CSI, you know. It's not like that. We've got to be willing to walk with them. We walk out, walk with them through the trials and the tribulations and the triumphs of life through this. That's making disciples. It's not praying a prayer and I'm, and I'm gone, right? I think that walking things out has been one of the areas the church has greatly lacked. And I want to end this, this last point. The last thing that God expects us to do is to live a life of service. This is that surrendering and denying your flesh. And this really ties into the last point a lot, but this is something that really shows our love and gets people's attention. You guys recognize when, in, in the New Testament, when Jesus went around ministering to people, you recognize that many times, I would say most of the time, the first thing he did was meet a need in their life. Usually before he even told them to repent, he would meet a need in their life. Couple things I've got. Two things in here. One, be a giver. How do we live a life of service? Be a giver. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on on the tithe and, and the offering, but but that is very important. We've talked about that a lot over the past couple of months. Firstly, to your local church, you want your money to change lives. It's it is going to be effective 
as you give through your local church. And the Bible does command that. The, the tithe being the 10% and the offering, anything above and beyond, we give that through the local church. And actually, we're having in about a month and a half, two months, we're having an outreach day. And, and uh, we're going to have the ministries that we support. We're going to have quite a few of them here and featured, all of them featured, and, uh, and talking about the ways that, that our church has impacted their ministries and all the lives that they've impacted. I talked to, I talked to David Vincent yesterday um, from Warrior Ministries and Breakthrough Ministries, and I talked to Brad Bowie from, uh, from Lighthouse, and it's going to be powerful. But guys, it's important that we support uh, the kingdom of God by being a, uh, by being a giver. Um, and we've got to make sure, I think the most important thing in this one of the, is that we make sure that we don't hold on too tightly to what God has given us. We've got to be willing to give away whatever God has blessed us with in a moment. And we've got to remember that it's just, it's just stuff. It's just money. It's temporal things that are absolutely replaceable. But we're totally consumed by material things. When we're totally consumed by material things, it shows how little we trust God. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, 11. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. Why would he increase your store of seed? So that you can reap more harvest, right? He will en- and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness so you can reap a bigger harvest, and you will be enriched, which basically just means blessed or prospered, in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving. And that last part there is kind of weird the way it's worded. Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving. It just basically means as we see you being generous, we're going to be thankful before God is basically all that means. I know that Sean and I have been so blessed from day one, and we've learned to be a blessing. And we've learned from the get-go not to hold on too tightly to anything that God brings into our life. And, and we've had the opportunity to give away, we've given away furniture, we've given away a couple of cars, we've given away clothes and television and cash and, you know, all these different things. And we've never made a great deal of money, but we've also never had to borrow anything except for our house. And we've never made a late payment. Because we've always trusted God with what he's given us, and we've never held on to it too tightly. Does that make sense? You look at our checking account. There's never been a whole lot in there. But we've always trusted him. Don't trust in stuff. Don't let your flesh get in the way. It's just stuff. Give it away freely. We live in a materialistic society. What's the antidote to materialism? Giving. The second thing I was going to say was, give your life away. Give your life away. Again, back to the church for a moment. Serve in the church. Giving your time is just as important as giving of your stuff. Guys, you know, we, we talk about being a part of a family. Guys, even just here within our church, you know, we need more of our members to step up and to serve in different areas just to take care of the house. You know, just like we expect, we expect in our own house, right? We expect our kids to step up and pull their weight and to take responsibility and, and to help do different things. And we give them some chores and different things to take care of. And, and we, need, we, need some of, we need some of our members to step I mean, we, we, right now we're short on folks just to come up once every couple of weeks and just to help clean up and run a, run a vacuum for a few minutes and, and help with a couple of things. You know what I mean? We've got to give ourselves away and be willing to serve. Maybe, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be a consumer. I want to be a contributor in the kingdom of God. 
Let's do our part. Let's pull our weight. Let's take ownership. Let's not just assume somebody else is going to do it. Maybe you love serving those who are less fortunate than you. There's plenty of opportunities. Through our church, you can go and you can serve through Hope House. You can go and you can serve uh, um, Miss uh, Tamara, Pastor Ray's wife over at Spirit Church. She runs the Olive Branch Food Pantry. They're always looking for people to, ho- to help and to donate and to do different things. Give your life away. Put yourself before others. Let people go first. Hold the door for somebody. Do something nice. Go out of your way to do something nice for somebody. We just, I think we've forgotten the art of being polite and having manners and being selfless. We've got to give ourselves away because that's what Jesus did. And we've forgotten how to do it in the simplest ways. Even just saying thank you. I'm afraid walking down the aisle at Walmart, I'm going to get run over by somebody. And, and, and there's no sorry, excuse me, anything, right? You got to look around them corners where you step out. <laughs> Nobody's going to let you go first, right? Interestingly enough, living a life of service will also produce that contentedness and that satisfaction in life that we were talking about. When you give yourself away, that's when you find that true peace and satisfaction and contentedness. we got to close. Let's stand up. Let me get the worship team come on up. I'm going to end with the same thing I've ended with for four, well, three weeks, I guess. Week one. How do we come into general alignment with God? First and foremost, we commit to a life that confesses Jesus is Lord. Secondly, we commit to a life of surrender and repentance before God. That's called making Jesus Lord of my life. That's living for him. That's surrendering to him. Walk out a process of discovering that alignment. How do we come to spiritual maturity? We walk out a process of discovering who we are as a new creation and finding our place in God's family. We submit to and learn from those that God has placed in our life. We learn to trust and obey God unconditionally. We don't rush it. We choose to walk out the process every day of our life until we take our final breath, step by step. Amen. Who's ready to walk it out? Y'all ready? We're all in different places along the way, right? Something I learned early on. You know, we look at people around us, and, and especially in the church, and we see people at, of all different walks of life, at all different places, and have you know, that's absolutely okay. The Lord deals with all of us at different times and different ways. We've all walked through different things at different times. And that's, 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 that's totally okay. But what I, I would ask you, where are you now? I'd ask you to examine yourself for just a minute. Firstly, are you in general alignment with God? Have you made that decision? Whether you're here or whether you're one of the folks that's watching online this morning, Are you in general alignment with God? Meaning that your life confesses that Jesus is Lord and you're living a life of repentance and surrender before him. If you can't say that you've made that decision, then as we always do, we're gonna pray a prayer in just a minute. 
And I would ask you now to begin positioning your heart. Put it into a position of surrender. Decide that today is going to be a defining moment. This is going to be a day that you're going to remember for the rest of your life as the day that everything changed, that you changed families, you made uh, uh, just that you made decisions that would change everything, that would change your relationships, would change the way that you made decisions, would change your future, that would change your eternity. It's nothing to take lightly. You're surrendering your whole life to Him. There's no going back. Maybe you have made that decision before. Maybe you've found that your alignment has slipped a bit. Maybe it slipped significantly. And you find yourself wandering a bit. You feel like you're wandering down a path alone. Same thing. Same process. Position your heart into a place of surrender. Pivotal moment. God, this is it. I'm coming back into line. Everything changes. You're taking the reins. I'm passing it off to you right now. Nothing is off limits. I'm surrendering everything, every decision, every relationship, everything that I worry about, my flesh, my desires, my dreams. I'm not going to take control of it anymore. I pass it off to you. Same process. Let's all bow our heads for just a moment. With every head bowed, and you would say, that's you. And you would say yes to either of those questions. Either you are out of alignment, or you need to come back into alignment with Jesus today. Let me get you to lift your hand. Lift it up high so I can see. Yep, who else? And when you raise your hand, I want you to look up at me. Okay? Who else? Who else would say, I need to come into alignment today? I have got to get my alignment right with the Lord today. Anybody else? Okay, you can put your hands down. I know you too. I know that you're, I know that you're both believers. And so I just encourage you guys, y'all, just close your eyes and just focus and meditate on him for a moment. Allow the Holy Spirit to flood you. Position your heart in a place of repentance. Allow the Lord to speak to you. We're going to pray a prayer. And maybe, look, maybe you didn't raise your hand, and, and that, that is okay. Doesn't mean it's too late. We're going to pray the prayer together, and, and I encourage you to join in with us because it's, it's not about the prayer. It's not about the raised hand. It's about the surrendered heart. So we're going to pray this prayer together. Invite you to say it out loud. The Bible says that you become a new creation. You change families. Everything changes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm repositioning today. I'm getting my heart right. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the price he paid. He paid my price. He paid for my sin. He paid for my failures. And I thank you for that. I accept that sacrifice as mine today in Jesus' name. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Take the reins. I'm sorry for all the places that I failed. 
I repent. I turn my back on all those failures, on all those sins, and I chase after you with all my heart. Holy Spirit, fill me, flood me, empower me to be everything that you've called me to be. Lord, I will chase after you. I'll chase after you hard all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.